For those of you new to this congregation, Reverend Dr. Tom Bowsman often taught the children sign language, and that was hallelujah in sign language in memory of Tom. Thank you, choir. Now listen for God's word to us from Exodus 32. You may read along in your bulletin, your order of worship. This is the second time that uh, Moses has been up the mountain. He has already received the tablet uh, with the ten laws. And uh, listen for God's word. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I wonder if this is the same. It is not. Let me read it from this. I suddenly realized it's not my Bible. Let me begin again. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast for the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me be alone, Uh, now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you, I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, 
and Israel your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, where my words match yours, may they be taken to heart and remembered and acted on. Where they veer from your word and your spirit, may they be quickly forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen. Our lectionary scripture lesson for today brings up two ways of asking the question, who is your God? First, the children of Israel felt abandoned by Moses when he'd been invited by God and hiked up Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, and disappeared from them for 40 days. In the Bible, 40 days equals a long time. If you were part of a large group from 100,000 to 2.5 million, those are sort of the figures that the children of Israel are thought to be, and your leader disappeared for 40 days, wouldn't you begin to wonder, now what are we supposed to do? Who will be our leader? The people in the plain below the mountain got antsy because they assumed Moses had ditched them. They gave up waiting for them for him and decided to take matters into their own hands. With contributions of gold from the Israelite throng, Aaron, Moses' elder brother, whom Moses had delegated as next in command, molded a calf, and they all began to dance and make sacrifices around it in the style of pagan worship. Later in this same chapter, Aaron tried to pass the buck by saying to Moses that the people had insisted on him to do something. So they gathered, they gathered some gold, and he threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Yeah, right. It's that same old strategy, the blame game, that Adam tried in the garden after he and Eve and Eve had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God confronted them, and they said, Adam said, That woman you gave me had me eat it. And she said, That crafty serpent you created tricked me. Are you into the blame game? So, Aaron, who is your God? Hebrew children, chosen of God, who is your God? They seem to have forgotten the first three of those Ten Commandments. That God's people were to revere God's name only. That they were to worship the Lord God only. And they were to refrain from using images cast, carved, or drawn that depict the Almighty and Eternal Lord. In particular, in Deuteronomy, God forbade them to worship any element of creation that God had made. 
Now, sticking to the literal meaning of these commandments is why in the English Reformation, those that were called the iconoclasts under Oliver Cromwell and others' leadership destroyed many beautiful stained glass windows and other religious art, art depicting God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. They were following, thou shalt not make any graven image. Aren't we thankful that this mindset did not hold sway throughout the rest of England and the European continent where the treasures of Roman, Eastern, and Protestant churches like those of St. Paul's, Salisbury, Canterbury, uh, Chartres, Sistine Chapel, and Notre Dame, and so many others continue to uh, awe those who observe and hopefully point them to God in Christ. And of course, there are our beautiful stained glass windows. Of course, these images are not to be worshipped, but are to be an aid to worshipers. Initially, they were designed, of course, to tell the Bible stories for those who could not read, those who were illiterate, or those who did not have access to a Bible, as well as those who did not have a Bible in their own language. They still enrich our worship, don't they? But back to our text. It seems that Aaron was trying to play two ends against the middle, as he said, well, tomorrow we will make sacrifice to Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. Who is Aaron's God? The calf or God, the Lord God, Yahweh? Remember, Jesus talks about this same thing in both Matthew's and Luke's Gospels. In Luke 16, he says, No slave can, can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Oh, you thought, yeah, this is stewardship season. How's she going to get that in? <laughs> this is Jesus' word to the wise, and that's why our officers will be bringing forward their estimates of giving at the last hymn. In Matthew, the contemporary version called The Message says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt of the other. You cannot worship God and money both. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Israelites' wayward eyes and stiff necks that God talked about consistently get them in trouble. And worshiping things was usually at the center of it all. But you know, this is no quaint, bygone story. It seems embedded in human nature to go after other gods, to shape them in our image, or in the image of something or someone we admire, or to which we attribute power. In today's quasi-spiritual jargon, you know, oh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't go to church. It's not uncommon to hear people refer to the spiritual, or a higher power as the object of their affection. Higher, perhaps, higher than myself, 
but not as high as Yahweh God. God seems still to have little patience with our reliance, as shaky as it is, on powers other than God's self. And in fact, through the ages, God has tried to get this message across. You remember that Jeremiah wrote in chapter 10, The idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it in them to do good. Really, how did Aaron and the children of Israel think a golden calf, which they had to carry, would lead them through the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land? So, you knew it would come to this, didn't you? We need to ask, because the text asks us, Who is our God? Who is my God? Today's passage doesn't end in the plain, though. It goes back up the mountain where we learn more about who God is, what is the character of God, and how it may be appropriate to relate to this living God. We read that God sees all and knows all that is happening on the plain, just as God sees all and knows all that is happening in our life. Moses, however, is oblivious to all this as he's in his his 40-day retreat on the mountaintop. God is furious and sets out to destroy these traitors on the plain and orders Moses to go down and mete out punishment. Can you blame God for wanting to be alone so Moses can't advocate for his people? God also promises to start a new nation from just at Moses, not too differently from what God had done with Noah and with Abraham and Sarah. I think it says something very important about Moses' character, that he stays and lobbies God to be merciful and gracious but doesn't have ego needs to be another Noah or Abraham. Who is Moses God? Moses begs God to be who Moses knows God to be, merciful and gracious, forgiving. As Christ's followers, we know God's mercy and grace most fully, as God sent Jesus the Christ, not only to show us how to live and to teach us about God, but to die on our behalf and to be raised and ascended and with the first person of the Trinity to pour out the Holy Spirit to continue teaching us and reminding us and empowering us to live transformed lives, to become like Jesus, each in our own unique way. Moses' close dialogical relationship with God shows up especially in verses 11 through 14. But first, did you notice that God had said to Moses in verse 7, Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of italics, have acted perversely. Well, after 40 days with the Lord, Moses apparently feels free in this instance to reply to God in verse 11, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? 
with great power and a mighty hand. Moses, Moses gives it right back to God when he says, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. There's a bit of ironic humor in this serious encounter and negotiation. The closeness of Moses' relationship with God shows here as we get a glimpse of who Moses' God is. But Moses also polishes the apple, doesn't he? Because he adds, with great power and a mighty hand. And then Moses appeals three times to God. He appeals initially with logic. Lord, what sense is there for you to destroy your own chosen people? That seems to make a difference. Next, Moses appeals to Yahweh's reputation among the nations. As one commentator wrote, imagine the glee Pharaoh would have felt when the news got back to him that Yahweh had wiped out the Israelites. That's what Pharaoh had tried to do already. God would appear evil, more a demon than a deity. And then finally, Moses reflects back to God the promise that God first made to the biblical patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, to make their people a great nation. Moses exhorts God to turn from wrath, to exercise mercy, and not waste all of those generations and years, years of toil, over 400 in Egypt. The heart of these appeals by Moses in verse 12 is, turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. And this does seem to change God's mind. There is punishment, but God holds off on destruction. That is who the God of the Bible is. That's who Moses' God is. And so we ask ourselves, who is our God? What do you and I know about the character of God from our own experience? What is our dialogue with God like? How close are we? How free are our relationships with the Lord to really communicate, which is two-way, how logical are our petitions and intercessions? How do we say back to God our understandings of Scripture as we pray? Of course, it was after 40 days of one-on-one -on -one with God that Moses had this dialogue. That's a rare privilege and a luxury most of us will not have. I do know of a retreat center in Arizona or New Mexico where people are invited to a 30-day silent retreat with just an hour a day with a spiritual director. But we all have opportunities for afternoons apart, days apart, silent and other spiritual retreats that are possible nearby as well as at exotic locales. Right here, in our homes, in a quiet place. If we are in at least daily interaction with God, increasing our understanding of who God is by at least reading, if not studying scripture, listening with our minds and hearts to God's word, 
praying scripture back to God, praying the prayers of the Psalms, meditating on the Bible passages, as well as being still and just being present, knowing God is God, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit will deepen and transform us too. As we are transformed and clear that God is the only one worthy of our adoration and worship and ultimate allegiance, we will be empowered to free more of our time, our natural talents, and the spiritual gifts God gives us, as well as our financial resources to the work of the Lord through this vibrant, growing, renewing congregation that serves here and through here to our community and region and around the world. God is the sole audience of our worship. The Lord is not a bystander, not a cheering section, not one who's praising us. God is the one and only around whom our spiritual affection gathers, the one whom we exalt and worship, and in whose power and for whose glory we are to live. May it be so. Amen.